Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Welcome to the show as ever. And boy, what a busy show we've got for you tonight, today, this afternoon, this morning. Whenever you're listening to it, it's a busy show because, well, things are about to get busy again. We've had an interlull. <sighs> bit of a tedious one. Bit of a scary one, of course, with what was going on with some of the injuries and all that. But fingers crossed... Fingers crossed we've come through it relatively well, uh, although the proof of that particular pudding will be seen when we get the lineup for the game against Manchester United. Boo! At Old Trafford. Boo! On Saturday, Arsene Wenger against Jose Mourinho. Boo! 12.30 kickoff. Boo! <sighs> I don't know about you, but I'm, uh, I'm a bit anxious about this game. I've been dreaming funny dreams about it. Not dreams with particularly good outcomes for the Arsenal either, but hopefully that is just my mind moving into a a worst-case scenario space, perhaps to protect me from what might happen, but also just to to fuck with me a bit. It has been known to do that from time to time, which is why I try and block it out by, you know, doing things to distract it, like doodling, drawing little men on post-it notes. It helps me. Maybe it could help you. But look, we are going to look ahead to the Manchester United game. We'll have a Manchester United perspective on it. We've got a Manchester United supporting guest uh, with us to talk a bit about what's going on there this season. Uh, We'll also have an Arsenal perspective, of course, as you would imagine. What else have we got? One Day Fantasy Football uh, with FanDuel. We'll give you details of how you can win real-life cash by playing fantasy football. There's all the usual bits and pieces of Waffle. We'll look back at the interlull and uh, whatever the hell else crops up between now and the end of the show. So, the interlull. It's over now and that's it until March. Until March. No more internationals. It's just pure Arsenal week after week after week from here until then. So there are no breaks, no pauses, no way for you to escape. You're in this now. We're all on the voyage together and we'll see where it takes us. It could get challenging, of course, as the games come, a bit like Kyle Walker, thick and fast. Oh yeah, we're also going to give you some details of how you can come uh, see a live Arscast, a live Arscast Extra next Thursday at the uh, garage in Highbury and Islington. Myself and James, Amy Lawrence, Philippe O'Claire, and maybe some other guests as well. We give you details on tickets before the end of the show. I was talking about the interlull and injury news and all those kind of things that were going on. So Alexis, we all had our hearts in our mouths, panic-stricken. Was his hamstring going to be okay? Were we going to go to bed on Tuesday night and wake up to terrible news on Wednesday morning? And I have to say, I'm pretty tired of waking up to shit news this year. So thanks very much, 2016. At least they gave us a bit of a break there. Alexis played. I wasn't going to stay up that late to watch a game of football between Chile and Uruguay. Uh, But I woke up and there were no reports of him having his legs fallen off or amputated. He seemed to get through the game okay. He apparently played very well, very energetically, very much like his, his fit self which is good, and of course he scored two goals. Following which he spoke to uh, the Chilean media and uh, talked about how he wanted to become Chile's all-time top scorer and then was asked, uh, was he going to be okay to play in the big game this weekend? He said, I travel to London today. I'm training on Friday and travel the same Friday to Manchester to play on Saturday at midday. There's no problem. So he's well up for it, but obviously he's going to have to be assessed by the uh, the Arsenal medical team. We will uh, chat a bit more about that when we chat to our Arsenal guest today. Uh, what else? Hector Bellerin, though, there's the bad news from this particular interlull. I thought he'd gone away on international duty with Spain under-21s and picked up a knock, but no. It wasn't picked up over there. It was picked up in the last seconds 
of the North London Derby uh, against Tottenham. Hector was involved in what Arsene Wenger called a strong tackle with Danny Rose. And that's what's given him ankle ligament damage that's going to keep him out for four weeks. So it's now, what, November 17th? I I suppose if we see Hector again this side of Christmas, New Year, we can be thankful because ankle ligament injuries can be slow to heal. They can be a bit more serious than we thought. And obviously, he's a very important player. So that will enter our discussion a bit later on when we talk about uh, what way we're going to face United. But that is the big bad news uh, from the interlull, Hector is going to be absent, and he is a he's a very big uh, big player to miss. Uh, so we'll see um, what else. Everybody else seems to have come back okay. There weren't too many players involved. Koscielny played for France. Giroud played for France. Ramsey played for Wales. Uh, Mustafi played for Germany. Mesut Ozil, of course, had the whole interlull off, so he's going to be fit and ready, hopefully, to do what he needs to do at Old Trafford. Um, there was one story though that caught my eye in this particular uh, international break. I don't know if you saw it. It involves William Gallas and Samir Nasri, two former Arsenal players. Not two players that you would ever uh, classify as Arsenal legends in any way. Perhaps two of the most dislikable players we've ever had at Arsenal, certainly in the modern era, in my opinion anyway. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who like Samir Nasri and look back on his time at the club fondly, but then there are people out there who like Cloves and Phil Collins and Dolphins. So there's no accounting for taste. But anyway, William Gallas was on a program in France. TV show, I think it was called uh, Locker Room. And he spoke about an incident that took place when he believes Samir Nasri tried to have him attacked by men with tasers. Now, I'll read you what Gallas said, but I think we need need a bit of music for it. I looked long and hard for some appropriate music, and I, I think this will do. So anyway, Gallas is on the TV show. He's talking to the person about an incident that took place in 2009 outside a Paris hotel. And he says, What you need to know is that I was staying at the hotel with my family. I was with my cousins for a meal. It was the eve of a rally, a meeting of the French team. At the end of the meal, I leave the hotel. And there, there are people who come to meet me and want to talk with me. Initially, I did not want to. Then I recognized a person who was often with Samir at the Arsenal training ground. A few days previously, we'd had an altercation in relation to something he said, and I did not appreciate it. This person wanted me to go and see Samir, who was in a car down the road. I was about to follow him, but my cousin, who is a policeman, told me in Creole not to go there. At the same time, I took a look to the side and I see someone squatting with a bag. In the bag, there were tasers. I do not know why, but luckily I was with people that day because I do not know what could have happened. Now, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there, right? that based on what we know from what Gallas is saying, what could have happened is that they could have lured him down to this other car and then tasered him. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious, right? It's not like they were going to bring him down to the car and you know, there was going to be a, a conciliatory cake there that Samir Nazari had baked himself. Hello, William. I'm very sorry about the altercation we had on the training ground. Here's a cake. I, I, I baked it for you. Uh, 
I really hope you enjoy it. Maybe we can be friends now. No, I don't think that's the way that Samir Nasri rolls. Now, I'm not saying that Nasri was definitely going to have him tasered, but, you know, based on what we know, on the evidence that's there, there's a man with a bag full of tasers. He wasn't just going to start throwing the tasers at Galas's head. One would assume that he would just, you know, zap the shite out of him. That's what they're for, right? They're, you know, they're for... But what a bizarre story, because Nasri and Gallas hate each other. There was an incident when they were in the French national team. Nasri had just broken into the side, and he got on the bus all cocky and sat down in Thierry Henry's seat, and Gallas said, hey, that's where Thierry Henry sits, and Nasri basically told him to fuck off, and they were they hated each other ever since. Apparently, they went a year at Arsenal without talking to each other. Now, the ideal scenario there would have been for the two of them to just taser each other until they lay on the ground dribbling and perhaps leaking stuff out of orifices that you you generally don't want to leak stuff out of. For me, that would have been the perfect way for the two of them to uh, to sort that out. They still don't talk, apparently. Must be difficult at those old uh, Arsenal reunions, you know. All the lads get together. Samir, Adibayor, Galas, Robin Van Persie. You know, all the all the... All the good lads together, having the having the laughs in a bar, all sitting at different tables, just staring at each other. Fun times, fun times. Right, let's get on with the show. So, uh, to take a look ahead to this this big game against Manchester United, I wanted to get a bit of a Manchester United perspective. So, somebody who's a Manchester United fan and who writes about them for ESPN. Glad to welcome back to the show, Musa Kwonga. Hey there, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Very well. Let's start where I don't think there's anywhere else we, we really can start other than Jose Mourinho and Manchester United. To me, always seemed... Uh, like a combination that goes as well together as toothpaste and orange juice. Uh, The way that he operates and the way that Manchester United fans want their club to be operated and for their team to play. How are you, how are you enjoying the first part of his um, reign? I guess I was going to say regime, but reign, I think will do better. (laughs) Uh, um, Honestly, uh, I think (laughs) what I can safely say is that it has been, um, it's been interesting. It's been far from dull. Actually, that's not true. The, the draw at Anfield was fairly dull. Yeah. Um, but I think it's been compelling. Uh, it hasn't been necessarily that entertaining. I think in patches, there's been some great football, uh, in limited patches. Uh, the left result, for example. Mm. Um, and even patches against Burnley, you know, we <laughs> failed to score, but it looked vaguely entertaining. Um, and some of the Swansea game. But ultimately, um, it's been, un- unfortunately, as you'd expect, a Mourinho tenure to last. Only it seems that he's progressed and fast forward to the period of his career <laughs> at a club where he starts, as it was one, as one person memorably said on uh, said on Twitter, setting everything on fire. Mm. Um, there, there are multiple bonfires at the moment. Uh, I'm fairly nervous, to be honest. What do you make of the way that he has, like you say, sort of fast forwarded into almost self destruction? Because the typical the typical trajectory of this thing is he comes in, he makes an impact, everybody loves him, and then you know uh, the truth will out in the end. I guess you would say. But he's he's come in and he's fallen out with certain players. Uh, he's thrown a couple of players under the bus: Luke Shaw, Chris Smalling. Uh, there was that that bizarre story where he was talking about 
how difficult it was for him to to live in a hotel. He couldn't go out. It, it does seem like his state of mind is very different than it might have been, considering when you heard about uh, uh, Mourinho or Manchester United, all we heard was like how much he wanted this job. And it, it maybe it doesn't seem to be suiting him. It's all a bit kind of Bill Murray lost in translation. Um, <laughs> You know, with, with, with sort of Manchester as Tokyo, and uh, it's very odd. Um, first, in Marino's defence, uh, there's a lot of talk about the squad behind the scenes, uh, you know, maybe being less good than he thought, perhaps having less of a leadership mentality than he thought. Yeah. But all that said, all that said, Antonio Conte walked into the Chelsea job, into a dressing room supposedly in disarray, and has worked wonders. He's done extraordinary things and on a much smaller budget than Mourinho's had, with much less time than Mourinho's had, and getting far fewer of the players than Mourinho wanted. And I think the key indictment of Mourinho's time United so far is that he had months to plan this. He had absolutely months to plan this. Um, he was given, um, you know, um, effectively a blank check. He signed, you know, the most the, mo- the most uh, expensive player in the world, who mm. was in good form when he was signed. He signed three of the leading playmakers in Europe from their clubs uh, this summer. And he said that he was buying four specialists and would play them in certain positions. He hasn't played Mkhitaryan really at all. Um, and he's undermined him at seemingly every turn. He's humiliated a player who is notoriously sensitive, um, but who was playing magnificent football in the Bundesliga, as I can say, you know, mm. first-hand living out, living out of Germany. He's humiliated Mkhitaryan. Um, and he seems to have no real plan. This is the guy that really said he had an identity for the team, a clear plan. And actually, if you look at all the main clubs, the, the biggest clubs in the Premier League, he is the one. He's the one manager who's managed to put out the team week after week with no clear identity. Yeah. That I think is the most damning indictment of Mourinho so far. Yeah, it, the, the Mkhitaryan thing seems very strange because obviously he's a player that Arsenal were linked with uh, this summer. Um, whether that deal was dependent on other things happening or somebody else leaving, we're, we're not quite sure. But certainly Arsenal were were definitely interested in him. And he's a guy who scored, I don't know how many goals, he did 20 goals and there were 15 assists or something last season in the Bundesliga. You know, a, a tremendous player and somebody who you would look at when you see Manchester United play this season, who could be a genuine asset to the team? Now I know there was a little bit of an injury problem, but I mean, how do you how do you view something like that where he spent thirty odd million pounds on a player, and you would assume that, given his relationship with uh, Raiola, that you know this wasn't just a a deal between the two of them. He's a player that he really wanted. How do we explain it or try and explain it? It's inexplicable. This is the thing. I think it's like Occam's razor. When you discount all other possible, uh, all other possibilities, no matter how you know crazy, then you're left with one answer. And the one answer is: it seems that he is somehow strangely making an example of him. Mm. And Mourinho has history with this. He looks, you know, you look at the clubs he's been at before: Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Mohamed Salah at Chelsea. You know, Juan Cuadrado. He has a history of taking creative players and almost trying to break them as if mm. they're stallions. You know, you know, they say you've got, to, you've got to break a stallion yeah. before it really comes of age. He's almost doing that. It's so bizarre. You know, just let these people play football. Makatarian turned up at United the same way he turned up at Shakhtar Donetsk, the same way he turned up at, at Dortmund, eager to eager to prove himself, eager to please. Let the man play football. Mm. He should be the nerve centre of the attack. If you look at any, and this is the, another damning indictment, Makatarian is a type of player that can win you a championship. When you're a Premier League, he's that good, he's that consistent, he's that intelligent, he's a magnificent footballer. Look at any other of those leading managers, uh, maybe with the exception of Klopp, whose style was maybe a bit too um, rough around the edges, I suppose, for Mkhitaryan, because he really flourished under Tuchel. But if you look at Wenger, 
Pochettino, um, you know, um, Conte, and, and obviously Guardiola, they would all love to have a player of the Macatown in their squad. Mm. This is what I find so bizarre about the entire episode. Are you confident that he might, you know, this might be just a betting in period, you know, that it hasn't worked quite as well as it has at some of his other clubs and that once he gets the pieces of the puzzle together, that Manchester United will, will kick on from here. Um, I mean, you look at, you look at the players that he's got at his disposal, like you say, Pogba, uh, there's uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, of course, finding the Premier League perhaps a little bit more difficult than than the, the French League. But, you know, the, the resources are there. He spent the money. Is it a team that he can craft into something that is, is as effective as we expect Mourinho teams to be? If I'm entirely honest, I don't feel confident at this precise moment that he'll turn things around. Mm. Only because, uh, as I mentioned, whether his club start, you know, whether his team starts playing great football or not, you have to contend with the other teams who are already playing terrific stuff, who have their processes in place, <laughs> their, their <laughs> philosophies, as Van Hal called them. Um, so at this point, actually, I'm not entirely convinced he's going to allow his attacking players to play with the freedom mm. that they should be playing with. And I think actually it's going to take perhaps, if I'm honest, in the long term, maybe actually dropping Zlatan or phasing him out of the team. I think in the short term, he was a really um, good acquisition to bring players through. But I think that in time, they're going to have to use a fluid front three and really rely on their speed because they're really lacking that at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was, the, the next question I was going to ask. I saw when when Zlatan got his yellow card and everyone went, great, he's out of the, he's out of the Arsenal game. There was part of me that thought, well... I don't know if uh, if maybe United might be easier to contend with with Zlatan up front. I think Koscielny and Mustafi might find it easier to deal with a big guy like him, who's not the quickest, rather than somebody like Rashford, somebody like Martial, perhaps, who's got that speed and is a bit more difficult to contend with. I mean, that's a fair point. If, if they'd surrounded... Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic with pace, which they should yeah. be doing, and, and and real, you know, elite footballing intelligence. Because as good a player as Lingard is, he's not an elite football brain. He's not. Yeah. Um, they surrounded him with Rashford, Mkhitaryan, you know, uh, maybe Martial. You know, then then you've got a dangerous attack. At the moment, I think with Zlatan Ibrahimovic there, you've basically got someone who's very easy to mark. And you've got someone who is not having that many dangerous runs made off him. So it's really kind of the worst of all possible worlds at the moment yeah. in, in that attack. Yeah. When you look at this Arsenal side, given our record at Old Trafford hasn't been the best uh, over the years, certainly in the Premier League. I know we won in the FA Cup there a couple of seasons ago. But when you look at this Arsenal side, do you have concerns that we might be able to uh, to get a win there at last? Are you, are you a bit worried about what you see from Arsenal this season? I mean, Arsenal, I'm not necessarily more worried only because Arsenal have always got that capacity to blow away any team in the world at their best. I mean, that's, that's the thing about Arsenal. It's why they're a compelling team to watch. It's why the neutrals love them. It's why many of us love them. I mean, you know, on a day off, I enjoy watching Arsenal. They're a great team to watch. Um, and I don't think they're the same Arsenal, I will say, as, as last year. I think they're slightly meaner. There's a harder edge to them, which is great. I think Mustafi's brought that through. Um, I think in the end, it's funny, Wenger ended up having quite a good... Um, transfer window I think with Wenger as well is Wenger does improve his players year on year which is fascinating so Wenger may not sign players and it's frustrating for the fans and even for people like me that enjoy watching Arsenal it's frustrating to see that but also the thing about Wenger is he he does get maybe sort of 10-15% out of players each year there at the club Um, Mm. and Walcott obviously Walcott's improvement has been the most spectacular so I suppose I'm I am concerned in the sense that I believe that Arsenal are obviously good enough to pull off a victory and know they need one to keep uh, pace with the leaders uh, and I'm, I'm not confident that United will pull off um, 
a decent result at the weekend. Mm. There are, a lot, I mean, there seems like a lot of things for Arsenal to overcome, like Wenger's record against Mourinho, the re- the record at Old Trafford, uh, early kickoff, twelve thirty, you know, on a Saturday morning away from home is not always the easiest as well. Uh, uh, Alexis Sanchez coming back in, we're not quite sure what condition, and he's obviously been a, a very key component in mm. the way that Arsenal have played this season. He's in good form though, Sanchez. He scored twice, didn't he? Yeah. The, uh, in, in the qualifier. And, you know, he's up for the fight. I, I think that, you know, if I'm honest, I think United have to be a little bit uh, circumspect and a bit concerned about Arsenal's current form. Uh, I think we are concerned about it. And to be honest, if there's any season um, to overturn some of the, some of Wenger's unwanted records, then I think this is the season for them. I think this is the time for them. You know, we've said this maybe before when, when obviously Arsenal famously lost... Uh, at Old Trafford under Moyes but there is actually really no better time to play United I think than right now well I hope that's the case <laughs> I hope it's not another I hope it's not another situation where the pollster has got it wrong Musa um... oh, no. <laughs> the silent the silent gooner the silent gooner no I'm not, I'm not a silent gooner no no um, not at all yeah. not at all but come here what, what are you making of the Premier League in general this season in, in terms of uh the, the competitiveness of it. Arsene Wenger said something. He thought it would be 84 to 86 points that would win the league. And, he, you know, he may well be proven right there. But there wow. does seem to be a real equalization, particularly in this sort of top six or seven. Uh, it's no longer a two-horse race or a three-horse race for the Premier League. There are uh, any number of teams that, that could go the distance. Um, you know, is, is that good for the Premier League, even if we're seeing, let's say, uh, viewing figures down? I absolutely love this Premier League season. Uh, it's not great for United, obviously, but mm. you know I'm a, fo- I'm a football fan. I'm a football fan, and what is great to see in the Premier League right now is that spectacular attacking coaching is being rewarded. It's really great to see. I mean, look at the fluidity of Liverpool's front line, Man City's front line. It's great to have Gundogan back, who is really the kind of German Iniesta in my eyes. Uh, terrific, but I love Iniesta, obviously. We mm. all do. Um, great to see Arsenal playing with fluidity, Chelsea playing terrific stuff. It's great to see a variety of tactical formations. And also the kind of, what we call this, the Premier League's middle class. Uh, you know, clubs like Bournemouth, forcing into that bracket, uh, Southampton and Everton. These clubs are so well coached. You've, you know, this is the great thing about it. When, when um, City beat Bournemouth 4-0, you had um, Guardiola saying that he thought that Bournemouth the best side he played so far. And he wasn't just doing that as a dig for United. I think he meant that. I think he genuinely meant that. The organisation of the Bournemouth team was so good. Mm. And he was so impressed by the coaching. And, and I, think, I think viewing figures, I think we can agree they're a moot point only because there is so much streaming going on at the moment. Mm. Um, and that is something which I think Unfortunately, clubs have to contend with and uh, broadcasting houses, houses have to contend with. And maybe they'll have to come to some kind of better offer for streaming. Maybe there is a, a halfway house of offering maybe a cheaper subscription package. But I don't think that takes anything away from the quality of the league we're seeing. I think that actually more people are paying attention. If you look at Twitter, it's very clear that people are engaged with matches um, you know, whenever they're on, especially the big games. Mm. All right. Well, look at that whole thing is a is a different debate. We might have that uh, at another time. But look, I'm I'm going to keep fingers crossed that we can overcome some of those hurdles. I know it will upset you, but uh, we can remain friends. I hope, Musa. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> Thanks a million. Oh, pleasure's mine. Pleasure's mine. Thanks so much, mate. Thanks very much indeed to Musa. You can find him on Twitter at Okwanga, at Okwanga. And uh, afterwards, after we finished recording, he said, may the best team win because he's a nice chap like that. And I said, yes, may the best team win indeed. But I had my fingers crossed, folks, 100%. Sorry, mate, but you know. If we're not the best team and we still win, I'm 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 going to take that. And I'm not going to feel bad about it one bit. It's long overdue.
All right, let's talk a little bit about FanDuel. One day fantasy football with real life cash prizes. It's very easy to play. You just sign up, deposit some money in your account, enter the competition, and Bob's your uncle. There are prizes galore for you to win. This week, FanDuel have got an extra special offer for you. If you sign up and deposit £10, they'll give you free £5 credit every Friday for four weeks. That's £20 worth of free credit. So you've got loads of chances to win some of the cash prizes that they have on offer. All you've got to do is go to fanjewel.co.uk and sign up using the offer code Arsblog War Chest. That's Arsblog War Chest. You deposit a tenner, they give you a fiver every Friday for four weeks. Now, I should point out that that fiver is to play with and enter contests to try and win money. You can't withdraw that fiver, but it gives you four chances to enter the big competitions like the £6,000 fan favourite, which is what we're uh, entering this week, and the team that I've picked to try and win me some money, which I'm never going to do, but never mind. Uh, the team is Butland in goal, Williams, Peters and Jagielka at the back. What am I thinking? In midfield, De Bruyne, Mares, Vinal and uh, Goodmanson uh, in midfield and then up front Sanchez Alexis Sanchez of course I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, Jamie Vardy and Bat Schwai from Chelsea. If they come through for me and I win some money, I will donate it to some charity, uh, some relevant charity. But you, if you win, you get to keep all the money. So it's a £6,000 fan favourite. It costs a fiver to enter. Top prize is £1,000 and cash prizes for many managers all the way down. So check it out. Fanjewel.co.uk. Sign up with the promo code ArsblogWarchest. Deposit a tenner and get a fiver every week for the next four weeks. You can also get their apps on on Android and iOS. Check it all out at fanjewel.co.uk. Okay, then, time to look ahead to this Manchester United game from an Arsenal perspective, and joining me to do that, five-time winner of the best beard of anybody on Arsblog who is called Andrew. It's Andrew Allen. Good evening to you. Hello there. Thank you Thank you very much for that. That was great. No, it is. I mean, in <laughs> fairness, you, you win hands down every time. Maybe we need to get another Andrew into the mix to see... Yeah, give you some competition <laughs> but let's let's um talk a little bit about uh alexis sanchez and uh, we, we fretted during the week about whether or not he was going to be a able to get through the game against uruguay in midweek uh and then b whether he was going to come back absolutely knackered but arsene wenger said in his press conference he's uh he's texted to say that he's in good shape which must mean he's not dead at least um how how much participation do you think he's going to get uh on saturday is he is he going to start um well i mean honestly when the when the news first broke i just obviously assumed the worst like everybody else and just sort of immediately wrote him off for four weeks or something mm. um and then just before the game when it sounded like he might play even though he was possibly you know carrying an injury i thought well he definitely won't go to old trafford you know, the guy has scored two goals, being hailed as a hero by his countrymen. He sounds like he's in an okay nick. I mean, he's, you know, when you score two goals against Uruguay, you're going to be on an absolute high. I mean, it's going to be very difficult for Wenger not to take him in some capacity. So, um, I, I mean, I think he'd love to start him. I did read something else today that there was a slight doubt over Theo because his wife is expecting a baby in the coming hours ah. and that if that came into play then i guess you'd probably have to take alexis if you lost theo right um, so that could be an interesting one but uh i mean I, I have no problem starting with Giroud. i just think obviously it completely changes the way that we set up mm. um 
So we'll have to see. Right. So a lot of pressure on Mrs. Walcott this evening uh, yes. <laughs> between now and then to, uh, you know, get the job done. And um, yeah. OK, well, that would that would also change the way that he's going to set up for this game as well, wouldn't it? Because you would mm. imagine Walcott is a shoe in for the right hand side. Um and obviously a guy who's been in, in good form. So he's uh, he's somebody you'd rather have than uh, not have this season. Absolutely. I mean, he's been... I mean, look, you know, you and I have, have had a, a fair amount to say about Theo Walcott over the course of the last five years in Arsbog News. And Do, it's not always been complimentary. <laughs> don't release the um, transcripts. <laughs> no, no, exactly. But the guy's played well this season and you can't really, you know, you can't really deny that. I mean, he's scored some good goals. He's definitely worked harder. I mean, even after a couple of games, it was pretty obvious that he was making more effort when it came to tracking back and helping Bellerin out. I think, in, you know, given that we're missing Bellerin, it's really important that we have someone who understands the importance of tracking back in that right, you know, that right-hand side. Mm. Um, if we're going to have someone like Jenkinson playing there, I think we're going to need to cover him. Um, I wouldn't have necessarily huge qualms about uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain starting on the right instead but I, I just think from a goal-getting point of view Theo Theo kind of pips the Oxlade-Chamberlain you know, pretty much mm. every time um, I mean Theo and, and Giroud isn't a bad little lineup because they've, they've played together regularly in the past and I think Theo does quite well at putting a ball into the, the near post and Giroud getting across it and putting it in the net is something we've seen before. So that's not the worst combination, but I I, I definitely have Theo above uh, the Ox at the moment, who obviously when he came on the other day had a bit of a, bit of a nightmare. It's all a bit hit and miss again with him. Mm, yeah, he does sort of, um, I won't even say that he gets to the sublime, but he gets to the, to the oh, that's quite good to the ridiculous. Um, I mean, seriously, when he, when he came on uh, against Spurs, I mean, the, the, the two kind of, shanks of the ball that he he managed to to pull off i mean it was crazy it was like you'd you'd never it, you know that scene in happy gilmore where he kind of just <laughs> he's learning to hit a golf ball for the first time and he can't judge distances yeah. it was kind of like that it was like i'm just gonna kick it and see oh oh that was a bit too hard and then he did it a second time and it just went flying i was crazy um yeah uninspiring cameo yes. you might say um exactly. but but the right hand side is going to be an interesting um, area of the pitch for us because obviously Hector Bellerin is out injured he's going to be out for four weeks at least according to Arsene Wenger ankle ligament damage um, suffered in a tackle with, with Danny Rose so just one more reason to uh, you know to consign that guy to the depths of hell when the time comes but uh, Carl Jenkinson is the is the only guy really who's who's going to play I thought I thought the um, the the poll that they did on Arsenal Twitter today was quite good. Who would you play at right back? Jenkinson, Gabriel, Coquelin, or Ainsley Maitland Niles? Um, <laughs> like uh, where are thou, Matthew Debussy? I know he's coming back from yeah. an injury, but it's like, oh my god. Um, I mean, I can't see him do anything other than play Jenkinson there. And the last time that he played there for us uh, was in the eight-two, um, very early in his Arsenal career, and he ended up getting sent off on what was a, a horrendous day for Arsenal. So as much as the team itself have got some demons to exercise going to Old Trafford, he's got some personal ones too. Yeah, absolutely. What a horrible day. I mean, it's amazing to think that was, you know, five years ago now. Um, I, I I watched Jenkinson a bit for West Ham before he got injured last season, and he, he was having a bit of a poor poor patch, having done really well the year before. You know, the West Ham fans had really taken to him, and mm. he, he seemed to kind of really nail down that position. But 
Um, just before he uh, lost his place, at, well, he didn't really lose his place. Before he got injured against Man City playing for West Ham last season, they'd gone out and bought a young guy from Leeds, I think. And it looked as though his time there may not kind of end up in a permanent move. So the injury and, and coming back to Arsenal and getting a second chance of it. I mean, look, if Bellerin can come into the side, take a chance and become a first team player, then I don't think there's anything wrong with assuming that Carl Jenkinson might be able to to come back and do a job for us. I'm not necessarily saying that his long-term future or that he's got much chance of kind of usurping Bellerin, but mm. I, I, I think, you know, the guy's just come back. He's probably on a high at the fact that that's the case. Um, he, he certainly will know that he has to take his chance because even if he's uh, not playing at Arsenal come January, because I suspect he'll probably want the loan move, um, you know, he's he's got to start delivering now. He's not a young guy. He was mm. five years ago, but um, you know, he's what twenty four now. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean, he's got to run a game in England international as well. You know? True, true. I mean, he's got to he's he's got to look though at this next couple of weeks and say, ah, I've got a. I've got a chance of a run of games here because Bellerin is out, Debussy's coming back from an injury mm. and Gabriel Coquelin and Maitland-Niles aren't necessarily genuine uh, contenders for that right-back spot. So I think we, we can all assume rightly that when he comes back, Hector Bellerin goes straight back into the team. Mm. But but Jenkinson could do his... If he's willing to play that role as a backup right-back, um, he, could, he could nail that down, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only other, you know, slight concern you might have is, you know, a guy who's been out for nine months with a with a knee ligament uh, problem mm. is those kind of secondary injuries that tend to sort of kick in a couple of weeks after you've sort of made it back. I mean, he's he's been sort of play, playing first team training games for for quite a while, but I mean, he he he. he they're always at risk, aren't they, with a kind of muscular problem here, you know, whether it's a calf or a groin thing, overcompensating yeah. when you're running on those those dodgy knees. So fingers crossed he can at least not get injured again because that would be a good start. But I think, you know, if, um, you know the unit there, Monreal, Kashani, uh, Czech and Mustafi have been pretty solid. So he's got a decent kind of bedrock to kind of be you know, to join. Um, in the past, I think he's suffered because he's been part of a defence which has, you know, had injuries left, right and centre and the whole unit has been a bit of a shambles. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, and hopefully they can uh, provide that that protection. Obviously, you know, when you do miss a key component, you're looking for the rest of them uh, to step up a little bit. Um, midfield, what, what way do you view midfield? Is he going to go and... Uh, is it the game for him to try out the the Xhaka Ramsey partnership, or is he going to play it a bit more cautiously? Keep Ramsey in reserve as somebody who could give us something from the bench and uh, and stick with somebody like Coquelin to to add a bit of steel. I, I think I I mean I saw a few people say it, but I think um, the the Spurs game was something of a coming of age for Xhaka. I think he actually sort of started to look like the guy that we'd spent thirty five million odd quid on. Mm. Um, I thought he kind of had a penetration in the past that Gazzola usually delivers he's not you know anywhere near as mobile and he's not kind of the kind of wriggle out of a tight situation kind of player that Cazorla obviously is but he does look for a pass he pings the ball about at a decent pace which is great because if you're you know trying to create some momentum in the game the last thing you want is is a guy who slows it all down by playing the safe ball um so I think I think he's probably in with a pretty decent chance and I suspect actually he'll give the the role to Coquelin because Coquelin's been you know you know, twiddling his thumbs, I guess, for a couple of weeks again. You know, you yeah. know he's fit. Um, plus, he's 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 played there before. I mean, he he too was part of that 
at that 8-2 game. It was 3-1 um, when he went off, and as soon as he took Coquelin yeah. off, it, it all went wrong. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, actually, because I guess with the Ox as well still part of the squad, they're the three remainers who, who were part of that 8-2 that drubbing. Are they um, the only ones? Was Walcott there that day? I don't think he was I, there I that day, was he? I don't think he actually played that day. If he did, then he was probably as anonymous as we were used to him being at that mm. time. Anyway, I, I <laughs> but um, uh, look, I, 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 I suspect having seen Coquelin and, and Xhaka do okay, um, that, that he'll go with them. Ramsey, there's no huge need to push him at the moment, but I think he's, again, a very good option. He might be another option on the right if, for whatever reason, if we weren't going to go with Walcott, he could mm. play there. We know that, even though he doesn't prefer that as his position. And, you know, I I really like El Nini. I really, really like how tidy he is. Yeah. Um, I think he can count himself really unlucky at the moment not to be able to get into the team on a regular basis. Um, but I guess that says something about the strength and depth we have at midfield yeah. when we've got a couple of injuries. You know, True. That's, that's great. That's great. Uh, it is. Uh, just for the record, the team that day was Chesney, Koscielny, Juru, Jenkinson, Armand Traore, Thomas Rosicki, Aaron Ramsey, Andre Arshavin, Francis Coquelin, Robin Van Persie, and Theo Walcott. Yeah, so there was a few there. Yeah. Koscielny the, as well. Yeah, the, the substitutes that came on, uh, Oxley chamberlain came on for Coquelin. That's where it all went wrong. That was the point. Mm. Um, Henry Lansbury came on uh, for Van Persie and, and Marouane Shamak came on. And also on the bench, we had Fabianski, Ignacy Mikel, uh, Oziakup and Gilles Sunu. So a, a bench mm. replete with talent and, and options. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think we will, we will have a bench uh, this weekend that, that certainly got something about it, uh, even if we, do, if we do have a few injury problems, particularly in midfield. And I do wonder if that might enter the manager's thinking when it comes to who he's going to pick up front. You know, do, who's the guy who can make the best impact from the bench? And it strikes me maybe Giroud is the, the man more likely to make an impact from the bench than Alexis. That if you rest Alexis, yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, he becomes tired in a way. You just keep him playing. I think it's something Wenger has said before that you know, you, the minute you rest a guy, then he thinks, "Oh, I'm tired." But if he's playing all the time, he, he doesn't necessarily feel it. And when you come into the game off the back of two goals uh, against Uruguay, I guess the, the main thing though is just w- what sort of state the hamstring is in and how big a risk it is to to play him from the start or to play him at all. So. Uh, we'll have to wait and see there. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic out for Manchester United. They have a, a host of injuries as well. I'm not paying any attention to that whatsoever, but uh, is Zlatan out a good or a bad thing for Arsenal, in your opinion? Oh, I, I, I mean, he's scored against us before, obviously. I mean, he's, he's, he's scored against us for AC Milan. He scored against us twice when he was playing for Barcelona. Mm. Um I guess it's. I think it's a good thing. I mean, it's one less player to, to to have to worry about because I think, without a doubt, even if he wasn't in the starting eleven, he would have been uh, an option off the bench. Um, you know, he's a big guy. He's a physical guy. He wins headers. Um, look, he's a good player, even if he's not quite the guy that you know he was a few years ago. I think it can only really be a good thing. It makes you know Mourinho have to to test a couple of players who haven't been that great this season I guess like you know Martial hasn't had a, a particularly good season but I mean my only my only concern is it's Arsenal versus Manchester United at Old Trafford and mm. it tends not to matter who the hell Manchester United put out and <laughs> you know when you throw in the Mourinho thing as well that kind of that double kind of yeah. horrible combo it kind of you know maybe it's my only hope is it's kind of like you know two negatives make a positive for us 
Um, <laughs> you know, maybe Mourinho and Manchester United finally cancel each other out. And but we'll, uh, what about the early kickoff? Is that three negatives adding up to a yeah, negative? I, I mean, I... <laughs> Well, let's just hope Alexis is still on chilly time or something, because it'll be in the middle of the... Uh... Well, actually, I have no idea what the time difference is with chilly. It's about seven hours behind, isn't it? Is it? I um, don't know. Who knows? Anyway, well, let's hope Alexis is okay on the time scale. I mean, look, if I, I think Wenger's gone on record and said it's nothing to do with the time of the games. It really is just about us mm. you know, not acting like a bunch of idiots and defending idiotically and pushing our two fullbacks forward and yeah. going one nil down early. I mean, it would be really nice not to concede with like the first chance that we give them, which we inevitably will give them a very early chance. But I remember years gone by. You know, the first time Van Persie got the ball against us, it was you know goal. Oh, uh, the great right, great I mean, assist from Vermaelen, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the number of ridiculous goals we've given away over the years at Old Trafford. I can think of Diaby's late own goal header. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a catalogue of terrible, terrible, terrible memories. I mean, particularly these games earlier in the season because this fixture tends to sort of fall either very early or very late, mm. and the late ones tend to be sort of dead rubbers. Um, you occasionally get those kind of FA Cup games thrown in as well, but. Um, no, God, I just, I just think we need to be, we need to play tight, you know, grind out a game, try and get to nil nil at a draw, and 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 see where we go from there. But I mean, um, yeah, is is he going to attack us? Is there going to be pressure on him to produce an attacking performance, uh, or is he going to look at Arsenal in the same way that he looked at Liverpool? Uh, I know the Liverpool game was at Anfield, wasn't it? But. Um, that there's probably a bit more pressure on him to to produce an attacking performance there, but you know we know what he's like. He's not gonna he's not gonna provide Arsenal with what it is that they need and what Arsenal thrive on is space behind, mm. uh, you know, a, a team that plays a relatively a relatively high line. Um, it's going to be difficult, I think, uh, to try and break them down because as much as anyone, he will have looked at what Burnley did, for example. He would have looked at what uh, Middlesbrough did. And I know that, you know, they're teams with, whose ambition is much less than Manchester United's is overall. But if mm. Mourinho's looking at a way of, of making Arsenal a bit stagnant, that's it. Well, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to set up with three at the back, which is obviously where we've had massive problems this season. You know, Spurs, Middlesbrough. Mm. Um, we, you know, our inability to break down teams who sit deep and crowd the midfield has been an obvious problem. I don't think a Manchester United crowd is going to be particularly pleased if Jose Mourinho tries. I'm not even sure he's got enough defenders to line up with three centre-backs. So I suspect he'll, they'll probably go for it. But yeah, at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if both teams would be quite happy with a draw. I mean, I certainly take a point right now, knowing it's Old Trafford and knowing it's Mourinho. Yeah. Um, Manchester United certainly won't want to lose. I mean, they really, they they really can't afford to. I mean, so it is a it is a kind of, you know, if they lose track of the top four now, they they're going to find it really really difficult going into the second half of the season, given how kind of close it is amongst those top teams. I mean, City, Liverpool, Chelsea don't look like they're going to drop points anytime mm. soon at the moment. So. I have to say, you know, I'm I'm just sort of teetering on the brink of absolute despair about this game <laughs> because mm. just because of the weight of all of those things, the early kickoff, the Old Trafford, Manchester United away from home, uh, you know, injury to Bellerin, Alexis maybe not being at 100%. Um, and then, of course, there's the, the record uh, of Mourinho over Arsene Wenger. Yeah. Um, part of me says, look, that has to end at some point. It, it just has to. 
Um, and Arsene Wenger, so he plays it down when he's asked about it. He goes, look, it's not important. And, you know, we, we've got we've got plenty of games against plenty of managers and I've won lots of those, etc., etc. But, it, you know, it must be, given the fact that he clearly hates Jose Mourinho, uh, as do many of the people listening to this podcast, so that's something we can all identify <laughs> with, it must really great on him even if he can't ever say it perfectly it must be something that he's absolutely an itch that he's absolutely mad to scratch ah absolutely i mean no i I think nothing would make him more happy to get than to get this double whammy i mean he i mean we 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 reported on an interview not too long ago where he reflected on the the 20 years that he's been in charge at arsenal Mm. and he was asked about the most disappointing defeats that he's you know suffered in his entire time and he pinpointed the 3-2 defeat last season which is the only game we've lost away from home in 2016. That was a game we should not have lost. And it was a game we managed to kind of, I mean, it was one of the most abject and ridiculous performances. And that that was a mental thing, you know, that really yeah. was a mental thing because the team was playing well, but, you know, in that period, they were, you know, playing well away from home. We played well away from home all season. The Mourinho thing, I just think, look, I mean, there was a small a small snippet of, of, of a small chink of light, shall we say, with that Community Shield win over Chelsea last season. But little did we know that Chelsea were going to be as shocking as they were last year. And yeah. still we managed to lose to them under Mourinho away from... <laughs> I mean, it's just... It, <laughs> it is crazy. I, I mean, it, it's... it's I, it must be a mental thing because I, he has the players. The players deliver it in other games. I can't... I just can't, for the life of me, get my head around it because... He doesn't ask his players to do suicidal things. He doesn't ask his players to kind of drop off a man who's, you know, I say man, I mean, Rashford was 16 years old or whatever the hell he was when yeah. he came and scored two goals against us last year. I, it, it, it's very frustrating. And it's it's for that reason, I mean, as a football fan, you know what it's like. You kind of, you suffer, you suffer, you suffer. But every time you go into the game, you hope, you hope, you hope that this won't be the one that they screw up. Yeah. And... um I kind of that's how I'm treating Saturday yeah yeah I did like his comment today about you know are you are you going to shake his hand he says yes of course I will respect the tradition or the ritual that's so important to the Premier League (laughs) not because yeah yeah, there's no problem between us but yeah I'll do it just to fucking keep you guys keep you guys quiet I mean mean, unlike unlike the relationship with Ferguson which kind of lightened over the years to the point where the two of them could share a glass of wine you just there is no love lost between him and Mourinho no he absolutely hates him, and I think there's there's probably nobody in the in the in the game at the moment that would probably enjoying Mourinho suffering more than Wenger. But <laughs> he, he would he would never ever ever be drawn or say that in public. You of know, course, he's just not that kind of guy. But I mean, he must secretly be just thinking, you know what, Jose or Jose or whatever you hell. It's a jo- it's I mean, a Jose, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a, it's Spanish, uh, uh, Portuguese. God, God, Jesus. sorry, people. Yeah. Anyway, Drink. no, I mean, I think uh, I. I, I He'd love to win. He'd mm. absolutely love to win. All right. Well, look, let's hope it's 3 uh, 0 to the Arsenal in the 89th minute and he goes over and tries to shake his hand while he's sitting on the bench. I think that would be quite yeah, glorious. Yeah. Bit of that. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely go before the full time whistle, <laughs> the classic Mourinho. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and for the record, Chile is three hours behind us here in, in the UK and Ireland. So um, it's not so much time zones. Hours. Yeah, it's not time zones, it's distance because it's down. You know, it's sort of, it's more down than across. You see? God. So my maths and my geography is terrible. It's appalling, is, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, all right. Well, listen, um, we'll keep fingers crossed. Andrew, thanks a million. Ah, oh, thank you very much. Always a pleasure.
Thanks very much indeed to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at A. Allen Sport. That's at A. Allen Sport. And of course, he writes stuff and things for Arse Blog News. Now, just to tell you about next week's event, the live Arsecast Extra. Extra? It's an extra Arsecast Extra. It's an Arsecast Cross with an Arsecast Extra. Whatever way you want to call it, we're doing it in the garage, Highbury in Islington, on Thursday, November 24th. Uh, kickoff time around 7 o'clock. I think doors open at 6 o'clock. So myself and James will be there, of course, and we'll be joined by Amy Lawrence and Philippe Auclair for a night of erudite Arsenal chat and whatever the hell else comes up as well because we'll do it in normal Arsecast Extra format. We'll chat away for the first half of the show and then second half of the show we'll go out to the audience, bring a microphone, do the Q&A and uh, we'll answer the questions that the uh, the audience members pose to us. So please feel free to come and join us. There is a full bar. You can have a beer or two. We can have a beer or two afterwards and it'll all be good fun. Hopefully we'll be going into it on the back of two very good results because we've got Manchester United and PSG but if not, maybe it'll be cathartic. So there's that to cling on to, I guess. Uh, tickets are on sale from myticket.co.uk. Just search for Arsecast. There aren't too many left. Uh, most of them have gone, so do hurry. If you want to come along to the event, please get your tickets ASAP from myticket.co.uk. Search for Arsecast, and you can purchase them from there. I look forward to seeing everybody next Thursday in the garage in Highbury and Islington. So look, um... Manchester United on Saturday, 12.30 kickoff at Old Trafford. As good as we've been playing this season, as goodly, as bigly, as well as we've been playing this season, and as poorly, relatively, as they've been playing, I just don't want to go through that again, you know? That thing. You know what I'm talking about, whether it's Old Trafford or Mourinho or United. You know what I'm talking about that an Arsenal team just doesn't quite get it together on a day when they could stand up and make a big statement. You know, last year's game, I know Andrew mentioned it when we were chatting to him, but it is, it's one of those fucking terrible games that has left a scar that we could do with, I don't know, what do you do with scars? Rub butter on them? I don't know if that's the right analogy here. I don't necessarily want to be talking about rubbing butter on Manchester United or on the scars that they've caused. I just really would like us to get a good result here and to play well. You know, if we do, going into a game against PSG, it will be such a lift for us. And if we don't, all these questions will be asked of the team and the manager. Then when it comes to these big games, you know, I know we've beaten Chelsea and that was at home and it was a fantastic performance. But this game in particular, it's just so long overdue. We're so due a win here. And it won't come just because we're due. It'll come because because we played well and we've concentrated and we've performed to the level that we're capable of and we haven't shit the bed in in a certain way, that we haven't let the, the occasion or the pressure get to us. And that, I think, is where... The next game and also the game against PSG will tell us quite a bit about this Arsenal side, that the doubts that we've had, some of them have been dispelled this season through the performances, through the results and and through the way uh, that we played and and where we sit in the Premier League table. Uh, You can't ignore that, but it's turning up in these games, turning up in the high pressure games that haven't gone well to show that you can put these ghosts to bed. You can slay the ghosts, you can hang the ghosts or do whatever you want to the ghosts. Anything, anything bad, do bad things to the ghosts because they did bad things to you before they were ghosts. If the, I don't know what I'm talking about here. I'm just, 
I would just like us to do ourselves justice at Old Trafford and do this team justice and, and the club justice and fans justice. And uh, I, I sincerely hope we do that. So uh, I don't know what else to say about it other than just fucking just do that, Arsenal. Make Jose Mourinho unhappy. That's the first thing. Think about that. Think about how happy you could make the world in these trying times if you made Jose Mourinho unhappy. It's almost like a public service. For the greater good, for humanity, for the human race, for all of us who have a heart, just go out there and make him sad and furious and whatever else, just once we're happy. So I'm going to leave it there. James and I will be here with an Arscast Extra on Monday. Fingers crossed we're talking about good things. We will, of course, be covering the game on the blog, live blog. Come join us for that. All the match reports, all the stats and player ratings and everything else over on Arsblog News uh, throughout Saturday afternoon. So uh, keep everything crossed for this one. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Okay, Archer, sit. Now, tell me this. Is Jose Mourinho a cunt? Is he a cunt? Is he a cunt? (laughs) Yes, good boy, he is. Now, is he he a massive cunt? (laughs) Yes, he is. Sit. Are Manchester United cunts? (laughs) Yes, good boy. Are Arsenal going to win? Oh. Are you sure they're going to win? They're going to win? No. Good boy.